As usual, I asked our guest Josh Norris to pound the table for some of this offseason. Josh, who are you pounding the table for? I am absolutely pounding the table for Patriots running back Damian Harris. We always care about opportunity. We always look for those quote-unquote feature backs. Well, I'm here to tell you that you need to skip out on Miles Gaskin around like 64 overall and instead draft Odell Beckham. And then when it comes to Chase Edmonds around 77 overall, skip him too and maybe take Justin Herbert if you need to. And then wait 20 spots all the way down to 87 overall. And that will get you Damian Harris on a team that we know has a long history of success with Bill Belichick, a great offensive coordinator, in Josh McDaniels, a team that has on paper a top five offensive line that has rebuilt their passing attack after a miserable, disgusting offense to watch in 2020. Damian Harris is the one that can be the beneficiary of all that. We had Phil Perry on our show, the underdog football show, and he said that Harris is going to get that Sony Michelle treatment, the one that will get those 20-ish touches per game on a team that should be top five in rushes in the NFL. This is a major discount out there, and I think the biggest value at the running back position at the moment. I love it. I love it. Straight from Josh Norris. Go get you some Damian Harris. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the most accurate podcast. I am your humble host, Brandon Niles. My co-host today is the wonderful Chris Allen. Chris, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. I mean, I'm really excited to get the chance to sit down with you again, but then also our wonderful guest, Josh Norris, whom, I mean, for, I can't think of somebody that's out there in the football industry that doesn't know who Josh is, and I, I'm really, again, I cannot say how much, how excited I am to get a chance to sit down and talk with him again. Awesome. Uh, as you mentioned, we're excited to have Josh Norris from the Underdog fan or from Underdog Fantasy and the host of the Underdog Football Show with Josh Norris on the pod today. Uh, we're going to talk NFC South. You can find Josh on Twitter at Josh Norris and check out all his awesome content over at Underdog Fantasy. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. How you doing? I'm wonderful. You know, it's like this weird period of the NFL calendar where there's still a lot to do. We're all still creating content here, but we also know. A lot of our opinions, information, news, all that will shift, you know, in about three weeks time. So we're preparing for that. <laughs> and like more and more people are going to find your work are going to find my work here in the next month as well. So we're going to have to repeat a lot of the things that we've said all summer. But I'm really glad to talk to you too. Uh, big fan of Chris's. He knows that he and I got to talk a lot last year. And so I'm glad we get to do that in early July as well. Awesome, awesome. We're all big fans of Chris's. Chris is a, a phenomenal co-host. I'm a fan as well. Uh, we're going to talk NFC South today, but I, I just listened to your recent episode uh, of the Underdog Football Show, which is something everyone should check out. You and Hayden were talking about sophomore receivers, which is always interesting to me, those breakout guys, wh how they're going to develop. Uh, you talked about LaVisca Chenault, his talent, the changes in the Jaguars offense. I've also heard you talk about uh, Travis Etienne. I I'm just curious uh, what you see from this offense and who you're buying out of it. Oh, I mean, loaded question. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's one of those teams that is a complete unknown. And something that I've realized is that the public isn't very good at predicting the unknown. Uh, either, you know, big time players when they switch teams and uh, are, are with a new play caller or a new quarterback, or in this case, it's an entire offense that is totally overhauled with a head coach coming from college who we don't know how much or how little influence he's going to have on exactly that offense is going to be run. But you also have someone as the OC who has, you know, called plays in the NFL for a very long time, who has a defined kind of offense. Yeah, Visca is one where I think the, the discourse, uh, people love him. Our community loves him, mm -hmm. let's be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, but last year, he, he was, in some ways, a manufactured touch player in that his A dot, I believe, was among the lowest across the league at his position. Uh, now, with the drafting of Travis Etienne and the possible drafting of Darius Tony in that like Curtis Samuel, Percy Harvin slasher role. Like where does Visca fit in all that? Because we know that Marvin Jones is going to be an outside receiver. I think like the two spectrums endpoints of Visca season could be he's the number one wide receiver. Like he might be the most talented guy who is unleashed a little bit more and allowed to have more opportunities in the intermediate and downfield game. And his talent matches that. Or he's the one that's lost. 
He's the one who's like fourth on the team in targets and receptions. It's, it's difficult to know where it's going to be. And so Hayden and I basically were talking about how these next two or three weeks in preseason action is going to define a lot of what the Jaguars are going to be because, again, the Travis Etienne conundrum is, is part of that equation as well. Yeah, he's an interesting uh, guy. I throw the Jets in there, too, as two teams that we just don't know what to expect. Uh, Chris, what what do you think about Chenault? You know, he's going mid-seventh round, so it's not like he's a dart throw. Like, you're you're investing some draft capital into him, especially when Marvin Jones is available almost 40 picks later. How do you feel about Chenault and the rest of those Jaguars receivers, Chris? Well, I think that's the best way to open the conversation when we talk about drafting a guy like LaVisca Chenault is like it, where where is where he's coming at in terms of drafts. Like what is the opportunity cost associated with taking somebody like Chenault? Like if you go to a reputable and fantastic uh, best ball platform like Underdog in order to draft, <laughs> uh, you will find uh, Chenault going as wide receiver 39. So he's currently going just right behind guys like Juju Smith-Schuster and Tyler Boyd, but before guys Rich. like Mike Williams and Will Fuller. So it's mm-hmm. like, I would rather Tyler Boyd, like me personally, but that's me coming as a Cincinnati fan. All right, Bengal. Yeah. But, all right. So I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but I would, I would almost rather take Chenault than Mike Williams and Will Fuller. So I think his cost hmm. is fair. I think okay. it's like compared to the guys he's currently going around, but at the end, but like Josh had mentioned, it's really about how he's going to be employed or deployed within that offense. He yeah. had, he was actually the most, uh, I guess, most productive receiver, like based off of the way that he was, uh, way he actually was deployed on the field last year, highest yards per route run uh, across the entire team. The only one that had a higher yards per route run on the Jaguars last year was Chris Conley, who's no longer with the team anymore. So at least for me, that at least does give some indication that it is uh, an indicator of future production. On top of that, what what did they go out and get this past season? Or during the offseason, rather. They go out and they bring in uh, Marvin Jones. We know that uh, Marvin Jones, the way he produces, where he wins on the field, is not necessarily going to affect LaVisca. And then also they go out and draft uh, Travis Etienne. Now, they uh, at the beginning of uh, early on in the offseason, it was more discussion of Etienne being used as a receiver. That really does affect like what we thought of James Robinson. But to me, it also affects like where do they want to try and, I guess, use more of their receivers in the like in the passing game or where their pass catchers in the passing game in that short to intermediate area in the field and that's where visca can actually win and that's where we see him being deployed and being used the most so at least for my money it seems like chenault seems to be the one to benefit the most from this i don't know what type of uh, scheme or whatever that urban meyer is going to deploy in year one as a coach in the nfl but for me at least it looks like from chenault's usage last year from the production that we know he can like he can achieve and then also where he's currently going at in drafts he seems to be the one that i want to grab the most of because chark at this point to me seems to be slightly overdrafted I do like the value of a guy like Marvin Jones as well because we know about his history with Darrell Bevel, what he can provide to a rookie quarterback like Trevor Lawrence, who we know has is, is really accurate on those deep ball attempts. So all of that kind of at least, for me, at least points to Chenault being the one that we would want on a week-to-week basis. Marvin Jones, again, boom bust, like that type of profile, sure for where he's going, absolutely. But those two guys, Chenault and Marvin are the guys that I would want to invest in the most out of the Jaguars offense. Yeah, can I hop in here real quick? Because it's it's one where like I, I'm not getting LaVisca Chenault where I'm comfortable drafting him. Because as, as Chris mentioned, he's, he's going as wide receiver 39. And I have him like right around wide receiver 48, 49. And if you think about wide receiver 39 as LaVisca Chenault, and then Cole Beasley as wide receiver 61, who was incredibly proven last year, was especially in best ball, like people view, you know, these spiked weak players as like your Marquez Valdez Scantlings when you see like a 50-yard touchdown that is like the highlight in a spotlight game. But then if you go back and look at what Cole Beasley did, you know, he all he puts up is like, you know, seven targets, four receptions, 58 yards, and a five for 70. Then he also has, you know, six for 100 weeks or like a 53 and a touchdown week. Like he has spiked weeks as well. We care. That's another avenue to get 11 or 12 points. And so him going, you know, 22 spots after where LaVisca Chenault, despite being in a proven offense and a proven role on that team, that's what, that, that, that's what doesn't match up to me, I guess. It, it, I've, kind of feel like other than if Visca goes out there and immediately becomes the number one wide receiver 
for the Jaguars. He's almost being drafted at his ceiling already. And I, I commend people who really have their belief in what Visca's role is going to be. It's something in the next three weeks I might change my opinion on. So maybe you guys ask me in three weeks then. <laughs> no, and I think that's absolutely fair if you can think when you think about it that way, because trying to arbitrage to, uh, production profiles later in the draft, that's absolutely something that we should be doing in drafts. So despite I mean, the, my only concern with Beasley is the uh, Manuel Sanders coming over, so on and so forth. But they run enough three, four wide receiver sets that one doesn't really need to bite off the other's production. Right. But still, I do think that there is something at least to be said about finding some of the guys with similar profiles later in drafts. And you just outline. I guess one of the better examples that you could find for a guy like LaVisca later in drafts, Josh. That's always the spot I'm taking a quarterback. That's just where it is. It's seventh, eighth round, like when, when Visca's there. Like there's always a bunch of guys I like. Like Jalen Hurts is there and Justin Herbert's usually there. And so I, I'm usually that's usually about when I take my quarterback, and by the time it gets back to me, Visca's gone and I'm perfectly happy with Curtis Samuel. And I, I'll take Marvin Jones all day at his ADP just because he always outperforms it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. I, I'm 100% with that. Well, and that's where I'm taking Curtis Samuel. Uh, yeah. I mean, Curtis Samuel's going six spots later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Curtis Samuel in that Washington, I know we're spiraling off topic here. Oh, we but, can spiral. That's what we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Curtis Samuel is absolutely going to be an outside receiver for Washington. You know, mm-hmm. he a, a lot of people point to his 2020 as being his breakout when he played 70-something percent in the slot, where... He had an A dot like just around seven and a half yards when really people should view while working with Norv Turner and Scott Turner, his 2019 as his breakout. And sure, from a pure production angle, it wasn't. But if Kyle freaking Allen wasn't throwing him the football, he would have <laughs> racked up 10 touchdowns that year when he had an A dot of like 13 yards. And so he and Terry McLaurin are going to be the outside guys. And I truly believe because Logan Thomas played over half of his snaps in the slot last year detached from the line of scrimmage. Um, he's... Curtis Samuel is going to be an absolute weapon in that offense. And, and I firmly believe that there's more of a foundation of facts and what we know already with that Washington team with Curtis Samuel than we do with Visca and the Jaguars. Dude's got a history of fighting the end zone for sure. That's a great segue, Josh. We're going to go into our main segment of the week. Folks, 4 for 4 has partnered with Underdog Fantasy to give you an easy way to claim a free, no-strings-attached pro subscription to 4 for 4 for the current season, plus $25 instantly deposited to start playing. Just enter 4 for 4 in the promo code box and deposit at least $10 when you sign up at Underdog. This is a screaming great deal and a fantastic opportunity for anyone who's been on the fence about joining to sign up with no risk. Sign up at Underdog Fantasy today. Uh, we're going to break down the NFC South division, talk about the fantasy questions and implications in each team in that division. I was going to start with the Bucks, but since you brought up Curtis Samuel, or I brought up Curtis Samuel, or Curtis Samuel was brought up in some factor, uh, I'm going to go with the Carolina Panthers. I'm going to start with that. Uh, first question uh, about the Panthers. The elephant in the room is uh, changing the quarterback. Is Sam Darnold any good? PFF wasn't very nice to him. Gave him a passer rating of 52.7 last year. That's below Nick Mullins, way below the likes of of Drew Locke and Mitch Trubisky and Carson Wentz, uh, very much maligned, uh, but comes obviously uh, away from the Adam Gase of it all. Uh, Josh, what do you think of Sam Darnold, his fit in Carolina? Is he an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater? And, uh, you know, does that make them interesting from a fantasy perspective? Well, even when you go back and watch Sam Darnold's quote-unquote highlights, uh, he still was awful. Uh, he's still bad. And, and like you can't argue that he was a, 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 against a bad quarterback. Like He just mm-hmm. is. Like he, His placement is so bad that even his good plays, he's like halting the momentum of his wide receiver. Now, does it matter? In this offense, because one, how I like to view these teams, and I'm sure we'll get into this discussion a lot with the NFC South. It's sure about individual players, but it's also about what the team wants to achieve because, you know, teams are only honest with us, like through draft picks and and through their wallets and, and free agency. And then we can kind of like piece together a plan, at least at this point in the calendar. Well, it's very clear that last year, the Panthers were awful in the red zone. The Panthers did not throw downfield and the Panthers were really bad in like game tying scenarios in the fourth quarter and at the end of second halves. Um, so which of those can, can Sam Darnold help in? I think most importantly, and this is 
what Scott Fitterer and Matt Rule talked about immediately after trading for Sam Darnold was, was throwing down the field. Now that's fine. That doesn't mean like Robbie Anderson's role is going to drastically change or DJ Moore is going to be this tremendous downfield player. What I will say is everyone watched Teddy Bridgewater last year and he's fine. He's, you know, capable. But what the Panthers did as a whole, and I would, you know, put a lot of this on Joe Brady, is that they put on the field four 1,000-plus yard scrimmage players last season, which is tremendous across the league when you it view really every is. single team. I mean, it's Curtis Samuel, it was DJ Moore, it was Robbie Anderson, and Mike Davis. All went over 1,000 total scrimmage yards. And so can Sam Darnold maybe have more negative plays than Teddy, who still had some negative plays? Absolutely. But is he capable of doing something like that with two wide receivers? Plus Christian McCaffrey coming back. Yes, he absolutely can do that. Yeah, I, uh, I'm interested there too. I kind of credit Joe Brady as well for that offense and the weapons around him. They had Terrace Marshall in the draft, which is interesting. Uh, Chris, looking at this team and what Darnold brings, can the wide receivers find the end zone? Are you interested in DJ Moore? Because Moore led the team with four receiving touchdowns last year. Robbie Anderson had just three. Um, Moore's only had 10 in his whole three-year career so far. So uh, they struggle to find the end zone. Do you think this switch to Darnold can help kind of help that situation for them? I'm not entirely sure because Teddy Bridgewater's red zone efficiency was atrocious, and that was still actually part of the issue with him when he was still in New Orleans when he took over for Drew Brees. Like, for the most part, in between the 20s, absolutely. The Saints were still able to operate at a fairly normal clip, but once they got into the red zone, Points per game, like all of their red zone efficiency stats dropped off like during the switch. And we saw that over a complete full season with Teddy Bridgewater when he was in Carolina. Like Josh mentioned, the amount of production that each of the skill players that still were part of Carolina that were able to put up last year was, I mean, absolutely tremendous. We loved uh, Robbie Anderson. We were somewhat concerned about DJ Moore, but at least from th- his season in totality, still looks like a good wide receiver one, or at least a part of the wide receiver one, wide receiver two conversation. And Carolina was still top 10 in terms of offensive yards per drive from football outsiders, but they were 20th in terms of points scored, which makes no sense because if you're still <laughs> that capable of putting together that many productive drives, but you're still completely sputtering once you get in, inside the 20, that's really indicative of the passer that's involved there. And while we can't say that Sam Darnold is greater in that particular area of the field, because as Josh pointed out earlier, in terms of accuracy, in terms of ball placement, that's really not Sam Darnold's calling card. He was 26th or 27th in, uh, across the entire league in terms of a completion percentage over expected for last season. And that's actually been part of his uh, the issue with Sam Darnold since he's come into the league. So I'm not 100% expecting Carolina to now just become this offensive juggernaut because on top of the production in like in between like inside the 20s or between the 20s rather and now it's going to increase on top of an increase in red zone efficiency I can't really say that with Sam Darnold but I will say that and I agree with Josh in the fact that if this does give them license to be more aggressive downfield can guys like Robbie Anderson can guys like DJ Moore and now even Terrace Marshall take advantage of that aggressiveness from Sam Darnold because we know that at least Darnold can be or has the potential to be more aggressive now with Joe Brady versus being stuck under the thumb of Adam Gase. Sure, I can agree with that. But now whether or not that turns into touchdowns or whatnot, that can become more of a volatile discussion afterwards. So I'm still more on the cautiously optimistic. I do want to see Darnold succeed and he can be added to the list of guys that succeed after leaving Adam Gase. But still, it's just more of those, we need to see it, and I need to see it in preseason before I can buy into it more. Yeah, a, sure. a, few, a few points there. Um, love the comment on Robbie Anderson. Uh, somehow still an incredible value out yeah. there right now. I Sixth mean, round, wide receiver 30 last and underdog. Year, yep, and he was going, yeah, he's wide receiver 30 right now on underdog. And last year, he was the wide receiver 26 in fantasy points per game. What has changed like to make him worse? You know, like the situation to me is only better because I think Curtis Samuel, like I talked about, is an outstanding talent. And all of those opportunities are going to someone this year. I think like at the lowest, Robbie Anderson's floor is what we saw last year. Because Mm -hmm. what Joe Brady did was transform his game. I mean, his ADOT career jumped from 16 yards previously down to 9.8 last year, which 
correlated to a career high of 502 yards after the catch, which is 200 more than he ever had in his career. I mean, he was pigeonholed as just this deep threat across the league. And now he and DJ Moore can work in any alignment. That also brings up, and you mentioned the receiving touchdowns. Um, the Panthers have an issue there. And I, mm-hmm. I think what they did first in free agency, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it wouldn't shock me at all if Dan Arnold puts up like five touchdowns this year, which hey now. like an under the radar signing that they spent pretty significant money, around $3 million on that spot because he offered size, which is not something that they had on this roster. Because while I love Robbie Anderson, why I absolutely love DJ Moore, they're not these contested catch type wide receivers. So then they follow that up with someone named Terrace Marshall. I think if Dan Arnold doesn't do it, Terrace Marshall there's an outside shot that he leads the Panthers in receiving touchdowns this season because he did it in Joe Brady's offense in 2019. I think he caught 12 touchdowns in that lone season that they had together. And then last year as like the focal point as a big slot wide receiver, he goes out there and is super productive for most of the year too. Now that's a big jump because Terrace Marshall was a third round pick. And then, you know, he has dealt with, injuries in his past and so on and so forth and who knows how he's going to fit but that like inside outside versatility that Curtis Samuel had had not been replaced really until they brought in Terrace Marshall because like David Moore was their only other wide receiver signing out there and so where Terrace Marshall I mean I, I hate talking about an offense that is you know attached to Sam Darnold as one that like oh these pieces might be undervalued but damn, guys, I feel like a lot of these pieces might be undervalued. Yeah, late round. Uh, you know, Dan Arnold also, uh, Panthers drafted Tommy Tremble, uh, blocking tight end. Uh, PFF ranked Ian Thomas, the incumbent tight end, third best pass blocking tight end of the league last year. They bring in Dan Arnold really as a receiver. All the chatter is that he came there with an eye and a promise to be able to contribute as a pass catcher. I'm with you. Quietly had four touchdowns last year. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up with the with the Panthers real quick, uh, we don't really need to talk too much about Christian McCaffrey. He's the 1.01, but if anyone's concerned, he had six touchdowns in three games last year. I just want to throw right. that out there. Just now, let people know. It, it's exactly the same. Like It opened up what Mike Davis could do because like Mike Davis was one person that even when CMC went down, we saw reception totals of like six and eight for Davis. So like that part of the offense is, is going to be there no matter what. And I quickly do want to add that we're bringing up tight ends here. And I would even kind of like view Dan Arnold as a wide receiver because the number three wide receiver for the Panthers, at least how Joe Brady has run his offense, not just with the Panthers, but also the passing offense with LSU, that number three wide receiver spot is more important than the number one tight end spot. Um, And I think that, you know, these teams are smart. I know we like to rag on NFL teams as doing dumb things, but they self-evaluated. They know where they're bad and where they were, were awful last year. And a lot of that, like Chris was pointing out, was... You know, those those touchdown passes inside the 10-yard line and adding those two pieces, who knows how great they can be, but at least it signals to us that maybe they want to improve in those areas. And I think I'm 100% with you. I think that there's definitely room for improvement across the board for that entire offense. So it is one of the offenses that I'm probably most excited to see out of that entire group because I think we already have an idea of what Tampa Bay is going to be doing. I think at least for the most part, we have some understanding of what Atlanta is going to look like. It might be in a pretty decent shift, but we'll see what uh, and we'll talk about the Atlanta here in a little bit. Uh, The Saints, obviously, they're going to be switching things up. uh, And that's really the team that I want to get into right now. Because with New Orleans, so we've already witnessed the changing of the guard over the last couple of seasons with Drew Brees having multiple injuries and being out for stretches of games. And whether it's been Taysom Hill, whether it's been Jameis Winston last year, we've always at least had the tried and true elements to that Saints offense, right? It's been Alvin Kamara. It's been Michael Thomas. So for you, Josh, how are you approaching Alvin Kamara? Because he is the most expensive of those uh, those pass catchers that's a part of New Orleans, going around 1.04 to 1.06, depending on which draft that you hop in, or even early as the 103, depending on who you're with. So do you care who the quarterback is uh, for Alvin Kamara like this season? I think that's a totally fair question, especially with how early of a pick you are needing to spend on Alvin Kamara. And like a lot of people are viewing him as that potential line 
of drafting Travis Kelsey in round one or not, because obviously the first two picks are Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook, then there's a long conversation going after there. Uh, to quickly answer your question, no, I do not care. I think Alvin Kamara is an insane talent, and we'll get into this. People are just not giving Jameis Winston plus Sean Payton enough credit for this offense being capable. You know, it's going to be different than what we have seen. But all the time with running backs, what we talk about is how great their offensive line is and how good the team is because we know that, like, you throw to lead and then when you're winning, you run. And this is a top five offensive line on paper. Um, it's an offensive coordinator that we absolutely believe in. This is not scientific or mathematical in what I'm saying. But what Alvin Kamara can do is he picks up the yards that are blocked for him and he creates on his own. And he can do that in the running game. He can do that in the passing game. And we have seen Jameis Winston just a couple of years ago. Granted, he threw 30 interceptions and Sean Payton absolutely is not going to allow Jameis Winston to throw 30 interceptions. Mm -hmm. But what he did was support the wide receiver two and the wide receiver three in fantasy points per game just a couple seasons ago. And he was the quarterback five in fantasy points per game. And guess who the, the, the wide receiver one was that season? Michael freaking Thomas. Yet, we have been so accustomed in the past when he's connected to soft-armed Drew Brees for years and years to take Michael Thomas in the first round. And now you can get him all the way as wide receiver nine. If there was one player in that second tier of wide receivers that I would predict and maybe even put my money on and like the Justin Jefferson, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson. Not enough people are talking about Michael Thomas to once again, jump into the top five or top six scores at the position. And, and Winston, I, at, I'm sorry to cut in Chris, but Winston at QB 25, like that's a pretty cheap stack in underdog formats oh, yeah. to grab Michael Thomas in the third round and then get Winston way, way late at pick 181. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of folks are discounting, or at least not even necessarily discounting, but applying too much recency bias when they're approaching this entire Saints offense. Like, sure, I understand the risk that's involved, or not necessarily the risk, but at least the concern that's involved when you're switching from a quarterback like Drew Brees, who actually, to be quite honest, hasn't really been the Drew Brees that, like, the I guess the historical in his prime Drew Brees. Past two seasons, we have not gotten that type of production out of Drew Brees. So I understand the concern when folks want to maybe steer away from a Kamara. So let's say maybe you want to take a Derrick Henry, a Saquon Barkley over him. But Josh, you bring up a perfect point about Michael Thomas in that who else is going to really command the level of targets requisite for a wide receiver one within, within that offense? I mean, do we really care about Traquan Smith, who we've been waiting for however many years now to really break out and establish himself as a wide receiver two within an offense? Do we care about Marquez Calloway? Do we care about, I mean, Adam Troutman? I mean, any of those other guys outside of Kamara, outside of Michael Thomas, it really does seem like it's just been a conglomerate of guys that have been out there. And we really just want to attach some value to them just because we think that they're going to be a part of an efficient offense. And so is that really the approach that you're taking to trying to find that wide receiver two or even the tight end one if you're uh, if you're into Adam Troutman this season? Or are you really just avoiding any of those guys and you want to just focus on the key pieces that we know to be good? Fair question. Uh, my partner in crime, Hayden Winks, looked at Adam Troutman a long time because you know how it is at this point in the season, we all find like our favorite late round tight end that we think is going to hit. And then we look back at last off season and figure out none of them hit. Um, and you know, <laughs> a common one for me to suggest has been Adam Troutman. Cause one, the team loves him seemingly like they trade up for him in the draft when they had very little draft capital. And then they didn't try to replace, you know, a departed Jared cook. Now what Jared cook did last year was spend a lot of his time as like a detached tight end. Adam Troutman, on the other hand, played a lot of inline snaps. Most of those targets to like the best tight ends across the league, if you just look at it, they spend a lot of their time like split and detached from the formation. Maybe Adam Troutman can do that. I think there is a path for him to be like the number two non-running back pass catcher on the team this year, for sure. Um, I think we also have to ask ourselves like what we think the Saints want to be, and that might be a little bit unanswerable like the people closest to the team consistently say that Jameis Winston is going to get the first crack at 
the starting quarterback job. Now, could he fail miserably and like throw two interceptions in the first game, then have two more turnovers in the second game, and then immediately, and especially in those pivotal red zone situations, does Sean Payton revert back to Taysom Hill? Yes, of course. But like, you know, this team's not going to be bottom three in pass attempts. You know, they were like bottom 10 last year, but still like attempted 522. Um, they were also top five in rushing attempts last season to go back to your Alvin Kamara comment with, with 494. Uh, so wherever we slice it and however we like suggest it, like, sure, this team's not going to be one of the best offenses in the NFL. And if it is even better for us that are drafting all of these, but there's going to be a lot of volume for Alvin Kamara. And even if they're bottom, I don't know, 10 in pass attempts, seven in pass attempts, a vast majority of those are going to go to Michael Thomas. So again, hate to say it for the second team in a row, but I think the two most pivotal pass uh, parts of this offense, plus Jameis Winston, where you talked about him, especially in best ball formats, where we don't have to worry about interceptions necessarily in those weeks because we'll just start our other quarterback because the lovely underdog picks it for us. Hmm. I love all three of these pieces for sure. Yeah, and I think when you approach drafting any of those Saints guys, that's that's really the guess, the context that we need to apply like to that offense. I think a lot of folks that once they hear Jameis Winston, they think of the 30 interceptions. When they think of Taysom Hill, they just think of him as the running gadget quarterback who wound up having to play in that farce of a game against Den- uh, Denver that one week. It's like there are too many negatives that we wind up attaching to that offense where we really do need to start thinking about, well, what are the positives? Like, what are the things that we can really attach attach ourselves to the trains of logic that will give us some hope that this team could still be good. And like you mentioned earlier, Josh, it's that it's not that they were this super pass heavy offense. Even despite the fact that there was a ton of volume, they were still bottom 10 in terms of neutral passing rate. So it's like they were already kind of grooming this offense to be more of a balanced attack with Alvin Kamara and the rest of the pass catchers. Same thing in the red zone as well. So it's like, even if we do see a lot of Jameis and then with some Taysom sprinkled in, this can still be a productive offense for any of the, I guess, the high-level pass catchers associated with it, whether it be Michael Thomas or Alvin Kamara. And then, of course, the preseason note that we need to watch, like you mentioned earlier, is that if Adam Troutman is now going to be used more as a wide receiver. I, I, I'm trying to stay at least, uh, I guess, below consensus or maybe even at consensus when regarding Troutman since he is a Dayton graduate and that's where I live. So I'm trying to keep that hype like out of the entire conversation. But still, I mean, it is important to keep that, keep that in context. And a lot of folks don't want or they won't take that into account. They'll just see Jared Cook is gone. Troutman is the TE1. Let's let's go do this. It, almost in the same fashion of folks looking at Cole Komet. It's like right. Jimmy Graham, while still a part of the offense, we know he's getting phased out. So Cole Komet, TE1. So it's it's really hard for some folks to make that switch where it's still you need to understand the nuance of the tight end position. You need to understand the nuance of the offense that they're going to be around. And that's where you can wind up either finding some value, especially considering where Troutman now goes in drafts. He's not too terrible of a hit when it comes to opportunity cost, but still that's how we need to view this offense. We need to look at it more as this passing or like this changing of the guard from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, which still can be good. They can still be an efficient offense. They can still be a productive offense and still carry some of the guys that we are drafting in the like first, second, or third round of most of our drafts on underdog. Yeah, and it's also one where we have no idea who the true number two wide receiver is going to be on that team. But I always want to reiterate this point. We believe in Sean Payton. Sean Payton is a smart NFL mind. I would put him up there among the top five, top seven OCs out there. And if he trusts Jameis Winston, who again has created productive offenses for what we care about, would you rather spend, I don't know, a 16th, 17th, 18th round pick on Nico Collins or (laughs) Denzel Mims? You know, people who potentially could be associated to the worst offenses in the NFL, especially Nico Collins' case in the Texans. Or would you want to try to get like a Traquan Smith or even later a Marquez Callaway who's going as like the wide receiver 101 as that shot, you know, in six, because they're attached to a better offense. And in that, in those ranges, I don't want just like someone, I'm so out on bad offenses, guys, the Lions, the Texans, (laughs) get out of here. I want to invest in people and teams and coaches that we believe in, and hopefully they can hit 
you know, three to four to five spiked weeks for us. Cause that's all that matters. That is all that matters in any pick outside of like the 12th round in underdog drafts. Yeah. I've got a lot of Callaway in my hyper fragile builds, like as one of my last receivers and dart throws that I put in there. Cause like you said, it's going to be a good offense. Sean Payton's there. I like it. Uh, we're going to shift to the Bucks. I do want to mention real quick uh, regarding Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham. Uh, Chris, I, I track roster cuts, uh, the fantasy relevant roster cuts as the season gets closer. And I'm pre-writing Jimmy Graham in that article, just so you know. It's, okay. seven, there are seven million reasons for the Bears to cut him this year. So I'm just... Makes sense to me. Just fully expecting that to happen. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> uh, let's talk Bucks. Uh, my biggest question with the Bucks, there's really questions across the roster, but my biggest question is how you're approaching the backfield. Uh, Ronald Jones averaged 12.3 fantasy points per game last season. He's the RB34 right now, going two picks after Leonard Fournette which is crazy that Leonard Fournette's going above Ronald Jones. Uh, and then Giovanni Bernard is available at pick 178.1 right now on Underdog League. So I feel like uh, all three of these guys could have value in the right setup. Uh, Josh, how are you approaching the Tampa Bay backfield? Avoiding it. Um, <laughs> I just cannot stand Leonard Fournette as like a football player. Like he is the biggest compiler at the position, like, fake productive ever. It was that case in Jacksonville because he was just getting like all the opportunities. And then, you know, Ronald Jones has some fun runs, but he's a limited player who it's very clear that, you know, Tom Brady hated every single moment when he was forced to throw to one of those backs out of the backfield. And so <laughs> I'm sure he made it a case because we saw last year what happened after the bye. He's like, hey, I want someone in these two minute, three minute, one minute situations that I can at least trust because James White, Rex Burkhead were very important when we're working from behind, when we're trying to score and get in scoring position in those minute and a half drives. Gio Bernard is that guy. And if I'm drafting anyone, it's probably Gio at running back 52. I know mm -hmm. he's climbed up a lot recently because he was around running back 60. People are catching on to that. But no, I mean, in that range of Ronald Jones is running back 33 or Leonard Fournette is running back 36, strong avoid. I even hope to have like three running backs before then um, mm -hmm. and then close it out with someone like an Alexander Madison or a Jamal Williams or heck, if I really need to wait for like, because of my certain build and need to get a running back five, then maybe Geo fits that one as well. Because I think there are going to be weeks where Geo gets, I don't know, four catches, 37 yards and gets a short, you know, inside the 10 yard receiving touchdown. Like that's absolutely in the realm of possibility if mm -hmm. he's the passing down back. Yeah, I, I'm with you on Jamal Williams, uh, you know, for starters there. I like him as my fourth or fifth running back as well in these in these types of builds. But yeah, the, you know, the, the value and the price tag, Giovanni Bernard, is really, really tempting. Uh, I like Ronald Jones's role a little bit better, but it seems like Leonard Fournette, considering he's being drafted high, uh, you, know, you know, relative to the other two, it, it seems like he would be the most likely to get phased out. Uh, Chris, are you buying any of these three? Uh, Geo, and again, I have to put down my Cincinnati Bengals cap for a second and then <laughs> just talk about Bernard as a player, or at least within the context of the Bucks offense. And I think Josh laid it out perfectly. What do they need? Like, where do, what are their, I guess, the only, I guess, blemish or flaw within an offense is the fact that they really don't have a running back that can really fill that type of role. And after the fact that they brought back literally, I mean, all 22 of their starters and they still wind up bringing in a guy like Gio. I mean, to me, that that speaks to me as a as a self-scouting thing that they had done and said, this is the area where we're weak. It's not like they went out and grabbed another wide receiver. It's not like they went out and grabbed another tight end. I mean, they wound up bringing in that specific archetype of running back in order to fill that role. And what are some of the things that folks like J.J. Zacharyson have been talking about in terms of drafting running backs that are part of committees? I mean, really, it's not just as simple as grabbing the grabbing the one that's the cheapest, but it's just what role can we see for them throughout the entire course of the season? Can we see guys like uh, can we see guys that are ahead of them getting injured or being phased out of that offense because of fumbles or missing pass protection roles or things of that nature? Absolutely. Does that player does the player that we want to invest in have the ability to be a three down back? Also checks that box. I mean, Geo checks so many of the boxes that we would want out of a late round running back that it just to me it seems like a no-brainer that you would want to at least grab him every now and again in drafts he's not going to be the one that you want to plant your flag on and take in 100 of your drafts or whatever but still from a 
uh, from a value perspective, what Geo offers to both the team from a real football standpoint and to folks' rosters from a late-round running back perspective, I think all just lines up for him to at least be at least a value at his current ADP for right now. I love it. We're all taking a stab and a dart throw at Giovanni Bernard. Uh, uh, occasionally, I enjoy that. We're going to play a little Who'd You Rather. Uh, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, Josh, they're really close right now in ADP. Uh, Mike Evans is going four spots higher. Both are available in the fourth round. Uh, you kind of position rank. Mike Evans is going wide receiver 15. Chris Godwin, wide receiver 18 on underdog. Uh, who'd you rather between those two at cost? Probably Mike Evans, despite obviously Chris Godwin going a, a few spots later. But I think it probably all just depends on which part of the round are you drafting in. You know, are you drafting like in the second pick of that round or like the, the 11th pick of that round? Because I'm, I'm cool with both. I'm in on this Bucks team. Uh, that's not crazy to say. Obviously, what they showed last year, and we're going to get to Tom Brady in a second because I have some some notes there. But I am cool with both of these pass catchers and probably more than both of these pass catchers. But yes, Mike Evans is, is definitely someone who, despite, I mean, I think last year was his first year that in his entire career he never hit 1,000 yards. Um, that's bananas. And something we never even talk about with Mike Evans as being like the one of the most historic uh, like setting records early on in his career. And uh, now with the stride that the Bucks hit in the second half of last season and the playoffs, uh, this is definitely an offense I want to buy into. Yeah, he had a, he actually had 1,006 yards last year. So well, there we go. Uh, yeah, he's got seven straight seasons with 1,000 Crazy! Yards. That's yeah, madness! You're right. yeah. <laughs> he's also got three seasons with uh, double-digit touchdowns, which is, you know, no slouch of an accomplishment for him. Uh, 13 touchdowns last year with Tom Brady. Chris, do you agree? Would you prefer Chris Evans? Or, I'm sorry, uh, Mike Evans. I'm just I'm combining them. Chris Evans. He'd really yeah, have exactly. Captain America. Captain yeah. America. There we go. Chris uh, Evans, no, I, yeah. I'm... <laughs> I have been more in the camp for Mike Evans over Chris Godwin, like since Chris Godwin came into into the league. I mean, no, like no shot, like not hating on Penn State or anything like that, and definitely not hating on like Matt Harmon, like in his reception perception, because I know like Chris Godwin was a darling uh, coming out through the RP process. But when you look at the the types of opportunity that both of them get. I prefer Evans as a archetype of guy that I would want to invest in. He was he had more deep ball pat like uh, more deep ball passes, more targets within the red zone. It just for me all lines up with him being at least the more the wide receiver one A. If you want to look at it, Evans and Godwin as a one A one B type situation. So I would much rather like go or at least attach my wagon to like that guy versus Chris Godwin. Josh, are you buying Antonio Brown? He's uh, kind of early eighth round right now. Wide receiver 43 off the board on underdog. Uh, you know, quietly averaged almost as many points as Chris Godwin did over the second half of last season. Uh, so he's not irrelevant. They brought him back. Is a uh, nice discount for you? Good question. I think I just like, I like Antonio Brown, obviously the player, what he's accomplished. Uh, I think he probably is the most volatile human being in the NFL at the moment. And I think that also... <laughs> coincides with me really liking some of the wide receivers that are going around him right now. Uh, really into Michael Pittman, really into Rashad Bateman, really into Darno Mooney. Like I think Pittman and Bateman can both emerge as the number one pass catching option on their team. I don't think because mainly how great the talents are around him. I don't think that Antonio Brown can necessarily do that. So mm -hmm. that's probably why around where he's going, Right now, I'm I'm not drafting a lot of Antonio Brown. Sure. Uh, with that receiving talent, I won't go too hard on Antonio Brown. I agree with you. Uh, with that receiving talent, all those weapons there, Tom Brady was the quarterback eight last year. Uh, do you think he can repeat? Is is are we still buying him? Is it one of those things where uh, he's just good until he isn't? Uh, he was incredible after the bye last year. I mean, mm -hmm. after the bye, he averaged, and it was a late bye, like week twelve, I think, thirty four attempts, three hundred and thirty three yards per game and three touchdowns. I mean, that was five fewer attempts per contest, but 60 more yards and almost a full touchdown in the air more. Like, with everyone coming back, unless something catastrophic happens, and I wouldn't even say it would be like to Mike Evans or, or Chris Godwin. I would say like the maybe the most catastrophic injury outside of Tom Brady that could happen in the Bucks' offense would be like Tristan Wirfs going down at right tackle. Um, because that, that front five with the cohesiveness and the talent of that that blocking and how quickly Tom can get the ball out and also how he emerged as another downfield passer last year once he started getting the rhythm with his playmakers. Yeah, I mean, where Tom Brady is going right now 
and uh, Chris is going to hate me for saying this, but I have to do it anyways. Um, look, Tom Brady's <laughs> going as the quarterback 10 on underdog. Joe Burrow is going as the quarterback 9. Why? Why? <laughs> I can't argue with it. I know. I, I, I agree. Like, I really, I really like what Cincinnati can do. I don't know much about Zach Taylor, but what I do know is that he does play with pace and they do throw the football a lot and their defense might be worse. So like the, the garbage time or, you know, the amount of passing plays narrative can be spun there. But you know what also is good? The best team in the league who wins games because they put up more points than the other team that they're playing against. And there is a chance that the Bucks continue what they showed in the second half. When well, I'm in the second half, like the final six games with playoffs combined last year. And they do that again. And if that's the case, Tom Brady has hit his stride and he's really good. And he has three great pass catchers or more on this team. And he, I think, is going to finish above where he's being drafted right now as quarterback 10. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Rob Gronkowski finally just uh, want to touch on the tight ends real quick. Rob Gronkowski tight end 18 being drafted. OJ Howard tight end 29 being drafted. Uh, Howard obviously always been a disappointment and now coming off a, a serious injury. Uh, Gronkowski kind of had his moments last year. Do you think either of those are value or is this a stay away for you, Josh? I have them both like right at ADP. I don't know. I mean, tight end just stinks. Uh Look, I mean, I, I obviously want to exit with one of those top four in Kelsey Waller, Kettle Pitts. And then if I don't get that, I'm, I'm frequently leaning towards like Tyler Higby and, and Logan Thomas. Yeah, look, an underdog, maybe Rob Gronkowski is my second tight end. OJ Howard is just really not factoring into my equation right now. For some reason, I'm trying to separate my thoughts of Rob Gronkowski almost in the same way that we were looking at. Uh, Tom Brady towards the earlier parts of the season because I do think that once we got past the bye and it was Brady figuring out the offense we saw Gronk now start to be more used like as a as a receiver and look we started to see the production start to come with it so I do agree with you in the fact that Gronk like while I think he still goes like towards the back end of drafts anyway so like the opportunity cost isn't going to kill you but still it's what do we think of OJ Howard now don't really care. Cameron Brait still a part of that offense. Don't know if he's going to wind up getting cut, but still it is like for me, it's just, it's easier to just stay awake because there's so many other, at least tight ends that I would rather try and draft like a Gerald Everett, like any one of those like current late round tight ends at least have a little bit more upside associated with them. Other than the fact that, I mean, Gronk plays with one of the better quarterbacks, like in the league, it is at least a, it's difficult for me to try and figure out, all right, well, is he going to wind up being that tight end that is really going to wind up outkicking his current ADP? And I'm just not sure he has it in him in order to do that. But, I mean, it's worth a dart throw for sure. Uh, last team that we want to talk about, Atlanta Falcons. Uh, first and foremost, I, I'm still... I'm still not really reeling from the Julio Jones trade, but I still do feel kind of sad for any of the Atlanta Falcons fans out there listening right now. Uh, shout out to Charles McDonald. Uh, I know that we had to definitely pour one out for him like shortly after they found out that they were going to be trading Julio Jones because just the idea of Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Kyle Pitts, like all within that same offense really did seem like the dream for like for any of them, I mean, even for us. As fantasy football fans, seeing a decent offense, or at least a good offense now even enhanced with the addition of Kyle Pitts, I think that would have been something great to see. But let's start the conversation off with Kyle Pitts. So right now, going as you mentioned earlier, I mean, tight end four, currently on underdog. I mean, what should we expect for uh, expect of Kyle Pitts now in year one? Are we expecting him to break Ditka's record? I mean, that's essentially what, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, what, that's how we're <laughs> drafting him, right? <laughs> I don't know. So, I mean, let's. I'm going to pull up Mike Dick's numbers right now because they are absolutely astronomical. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 nuts what Mike Ditka did. When you also keep in mind what it was the era that it was. I mean, in 14 games, he had 56 receptions for 1,076 yards and 12 touchdowns. I understand what you're saying. Like, hey, where we're drafting him is what like the 44th overall player. Is that about where? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Kyle Pitts is going, yeah, 46, somewhere around there. The issue with Kyle Pitts is he continues to climb. Like, he was in that range to me, which was a super sweet spot in that, like, mid-round five territory. Now he's all the way up into round four. And, like, there's a chance he gets, like, depending on what happens in preseason, depending on what happens in training camp, that he's starting to buck, you know, the trend of how it takes tight ends a little while to develop, um, that he could really close that gap on, like, George Kittle. 
as being the, the third tight end off the board. So like, if you really want Cal Pitts on your team, it honestly might be time to draft right now. Uh, I, I think Cal Pitts is sensational. Uh, one, one note, what Arthur Smith was fantastic at in Tennessee was success in the red zone when it came to touchdowns. I mean, they were constantly top three, top two in the NFL. That can be sticky to track year over year, but Arthur Smith remains one of the best at it in the league. So naturally, other than obviously Julio Jones, who has never been tremendous in that area, Calvin Ridley, I would say maybe his game with separation can work there. But with the Falcons, they were bottom five or bottom six in that stat last year. What Arthur Smith is going to do for Matt Ryan, for Calvin Ridley, and especially for Cal Pitts, who can be an absolute juggernaut inside the 10-yard line, inside the 20-yard line, uh, that is a little boost in his value to me versus if he was stuck with another play caller as well. Right. And I think currently where he's where Pitts is currently going at in drafts, you really do have to do the value proposition of, well, do we want to buy the dip on Mark Andrews? Do we now want to look at TJ Hawkinson now with another year under his belt in yep. an offense that is completely <laughs> missing? Uh, I mean, uh, like pass catcher, I mean, skill within the Lions offense as of right now, or do we just go with the guy that we knew was going to be a prolific pass catcher, like looking at his collegiate profile, he winds up getting drafted with, I mean, the like the highest draft capital I've seen a tight end go, like right. you know, as far as I've been tracking it. And now he winds up in a system now that has been at least for the past like few years, I mean, top of the league in terms of neutral passing rate, I mean, above league average in terms of red zone passing rate, neutral pace, like top 10. I mean, th this is the situation that we needed for Kyle Pitts in order to be one of the best tight ends, and it happened. Well, so and, why not draft him at that at that level as well? And the whole conversation, because I, I maybe I'm speaking for you guys, and I shouldn't be. Not many of us are going to take you know Miles Sanders and David Montgomery in that area, right? Like we're yeah. looking at a bunch of wide receivers, and maybe if you want to get fancy, like a quarterback in that area. But that's who you're comparing Kyle Pitts to. It's like the Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cups, Jamar Chases of the world, and if you're going to take him above you know, Adam Thielen, T Higgins, and Deontay Johnson. On some drafts, I'll be fine with that. You know, uh, that's the great thing about best ball is we get to diversify our portfolio. And mm -hmm. we're not just like stuck in, you know, in one home league, but that's a major dilemma to have if you have that one league that you really do care about. And honestly, that's to me, one of the best uses of best ball in the summer is to try a whole bunch of these other uh, scenarios and, and drafting styles to building and roster constructions. So you know which one you feel more comfortable with. Would you rather take a chase in that area and then take like we talked about a, a Goddard or a Hawkinson or or a Higby later on or do you want to take Cal Pitts there and then you like the the wide receivers that go in the other tight ends ranges mm -hmm. yeah I love that by the time I get to my home league I've had like 40 best ball drafts of yes underdog that only can, 40 try that out yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm 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 not quite as uh as impressed I don't have quite as much of an impressive profile as as some others but uh <laughs> but yeah it, I, I I, I hear what you guys are saying. I like Kyle Pitts as a prospect. He's great. The history's rough. I'm taking TJ Hawkinson two rounds later every single time. I'm sorry. Wow. Really? <laughs> I just think he's going to lead the team in targets. He was pretty close to that elite territory last time. I just, I, every time we hype up an, an early round tight end, it just doesn't pan out like that. So I, I just, historically speaking, I'm just, I'm going to stay away from Kyle Pitts at that cost. Like when he was going tight end eight, I yep. was more interested. Tight end four. I, nah, I can't. Yeah. Uh, well, see, fair. now you and Sigmund Bloom would have a wonderful conversation because I know Sig was pounding the drum for Kyle Pitts at TE1, I think back in like March time frame or something <laughs> like that. That sounds, if I'm remembering correctly. So now it's just, it's completely gone off the rails like uh, in terms of tight end value. But let's focus on the wide receivers real quick. Josh, point blank question. Can we not do this whole, uh, remember what was it? The Juju Smith-Schuster can't succeed as a wide receiver one like type of deal because oh. Antonio Brown. Like, can we not do that with Calvin Ridley like this year, right now that he lost Julio Jones? That, that can't be a thing, right? No, I mean, Calvin Ridley is an elite wide receiver. He, he, he belongs in that true number one focal point of passing game. I mean, he was first in 20 plus yard targets last year. He's already made the leap. He's made that leap from secondary playmaker to wide receiver one. I, I think he might be on the Stefan Diggs trajectory of, of someone who uh, is a create separation wide receiver who can also win down the field and along the sideline. I mean, I'm sure you guys go back and watch this stuff too, especially in the summer, but like that 17 yard outside breaking route 
that Matt Ryan throws mm -hmm. to Calvin Ridley. I mean, it might have been one of the most unstoppable passing plays in the NFL last season. It was like a spot-up three-pointer. Um, mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And, I, I, again, I trust Arthur Smith and trust Matt Ryan, and I absolutely trust Calvin Ridley. And, again, he, he's going in a, you know, a tough group. I mean, I'm not predicting he's going to topple the likes of Devontae Adams, of Stefan Diggs, of Tyreek Hill, of DeAndre Hopkins. But it's possible. It's mm -hmm. absolutely possible because, again, he, he really ascended into that Tier 1 wide receiver status last year, in my opinion. I remember seeing a number of folks out there talking about, like, what he can, like, his type of, his archetype, like, where he, does he fit into that mold of some of those guys, like Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams, like, the crisp route running, the ability to create separation, and folks like Matt Harmon, since he came into the league, he has been touting guys like Calvin Ridley in order to say, like, ISO ball. Exactly. That's exactly what you want to be looking for. And all of the stats, like, wind up lining up with that. If you, anybody go out there and check out some of the work that Harmon's doing over at Reception Perception now, but. Calvin Ridley has been tops of the league in terms of separating against man coverage, zone press. It doesn't matter. And despite the fact that he was an older prospect coming out of college, we're still seeing, we're now seeing like the, the production, the fruits of that profile like really start to bear out. Even now that an elite talent like Julio Jones is gone, the concern with losing a Hall of Fame level talent like Julio isn't really there with Calvin Ridley. At least that's not the way we're drafting right now. If anything, after Julio left, his ADP, like Ridley's ADP came up a little bit because now mm -hmm. it was, well, Ridley's uh, now has the easiest path to wide receiver one, but now with A.J. Brown, with Julio coming in, some of the target share could be distributed between the two of them. We don't really, we won't really see as much targets as much as we would expect for Calvin Ridley should Julio had been there. So for me, from a production, from a past year's production standpoint from an athletic profile and just the ability as a wide receiver. I mean, all that stuff kind of lines up for Calvin Ridley. I mean, easily staying within the I mean top tier of wide receivers like for this upcoming season. And like you mentioned, Josh, I can still see more coming from him. We just really need to see where Matt Ryan's at over the next couple of seasons. Yep. Yeah, Julio missed seven games last year. Like Ridley's already shown he can do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, last thing I want to mention, almost similar case to the Saints. Do we care about the wide receiver, too, in the in this offense at all? I mean, Ol Olamide Zacchaeus, Russell Gage. I mean, Hayden Hurst, if we want to talk about the fact that Arthur Smith, his usage of two tight end sets could bring Hurst like, back into the fantasy conversation. But outside of Ridley, Pitts, I mean, Mike Davis as, as well, a part of that offense. I mean, are you really looking at any of the other pass catchers or skill position players involved in Atlanta right now? Yeah, I think people based on opportunity have, have really bought into Russell Gage. I'm well behind ADP. I mean, he's going as wide receiver 52 right now. Uh, I mean, that's one spot ahead of Elijah Moore. That's a few spots ahead of Henry Ruggs. Um, I might even throw out like a Rondale Moore. I mean, we've talked about a bunch of these names. Like that's w one spot after Darnell Mooney. Um, the draft capital doesn't back up Russell Gage. I think that he is a slot-only player in a lot of ways. I think the talent is is adequate, not great. Um, to your point, um, with Arthur Smith and, and this offense, I, I don't think you can necessarily say, well, Julio Jones had this many targets in the past. Uh, you know, they've used tight ends in the past, too, that, like, a lot of those are going to be shifted down to Russell Gage. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all. I'm, I'm definitely fading him where he's going at the moment, for sure. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, real quick before we go, I just want to say Matt Ryan, QB 17. That seems about right, huh, guys? I have him, I have him higher, and it goes back to, to what I'm saying about red zone efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, like 25th in red zone TD rate in 2019. They were 26th in 2020. Just imagine what a jump into the top 10, how big that would be for this entire offense from a productivity angle. And like top 10 is conservative based on what, you know, Arthur Smith has done in his past. And I quickly want to mention that Mike Davis, like I, I spent the start of the summer when it was like Mike Davis versus Miles Gaskin versus Chase Edmonds, that entire mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, clearly Mike Davis has won that, but I'm still ahead of ADP on Mike Davis. I think Mike Davis is a legit running back talent with attached to a play caller who has certainly, certainly used his running back in advantageous situations 
in the past. Yes, the offensive line is not nearly as good, but Mike Davis also showed that he can absolutely catch, catch passes out of the backfield and like not a one-for-one one replacement for Christian McCaffrey, but again, there were weeks of six or eight targets and catches yeah. last season. I'm, I'm a big fan of Mike Davis despite him being in the running back dead zone at running back 22. Excellent, excellent. Um, well, we're running long. I'm not going to take up any more of your time, Josh. Uh, I sure appreciate you. Everyone be sure to follow Josh on Twitter, at Josh Norris. Check out all his fantastic content over at Underdog Fantasy. Subscribe and leave really nice reviews for the Underdog Football Show. It's great with him and Hayden. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Any last thoughts or plugs before we go, Josh? Nope. You guys have been great. Thanks so much for letting me talk. I appreciate it. Awesome. Chris, great talking with you as always. Any final thoughts? No, again, all love to Josh and all the folks over at Underdog. Thanks for having, uh, thanks for coming on today, Josh. Awesome. Listeners, please don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at 2GuysBrandon and at Chris Allen FFWX. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.